We are in a series, we said it a couple times this morning already, simply titled Disciple, where we will look at the elements of a Christ follower, what marks us, what makes us unique, um, what is a Christian known by? It's a good question to ask. What is a Christian known by? Um, I love the premise of this series because it causes us to go to scripture and go, what, what are these things? We don't, we don't just make them up ourselves. Um, and I'm very thankful to get to preach on this portion of scripture this morning. Scripture does give us a strong indicator as to what will and will not be in the life of a Christ follower and the church. And before we read the text that we're going to focus on this morning, I, I want to give you a bit of a backstory as to what was going on. And um, we are in the book of Acts. We're in chapter two. And we see that all the believers were gathered together. They were in one place for the celebration of Pentecost. And on the timeline of things, I always like to know this, like where were we in the scope of time? On the timeline, we were 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord. And we see the Holy Spirit show up with power. He, he just, boom, he just lands right there on the scene where they were. It was a spectacular and miraculous show of power this morning. The, the first 13 verses explain this in vivid detail, and I want to encourage you to read those verses in vivid detail. See what the Holy Spirit did. It was a big deal. Um, and before I go further, I just want to say that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the events of this day. We can't miss this. The Holy Spirit, God, responsible for the events of this day. We'll later talk of Peter in the church, but I, I want to be crystal clear that the power the miracles, the sermon that Peter spoke, it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way these things happen this day. Um, staying in the events of the day, Peter steps forward to the crowd and he steps up and he takes a position of authority and he preaches what is likely the greatest sermon ever preached by someone not named Jesus. And all the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him that day. He preaches with urgency. His sermon, it was loaded with scripture. He spoke of Joel and David. And he directed them to listen up very clearly. He directed them to God's plan in Jesus. And he reminded them of the cross. And scripture says in verse 37 of chapter 2 that his words pierced their hearts. His words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pierced their hearts. They were the tip of the spear that morning in his sermon. He called them to repent of their sins and return to God. Scripture says that he preached for a long time. It says that he strongly urged them to save themselves from this crooked generation. And in verse 41, it says that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. This, this, is, this is huge. This is the first mega church. Imagine 3,000 people being given new life, lost, being found, blind, seeing, dead, coming to life, all in one place. And the Holy Spirit is powerful to save. And they had to figure out baptism that morning. Because 3,000 people, that's a lot. 
Can you imagine this celebration? This was no ordinary day. I love that we get the recorded history in the account of not only what happened, just the facts of the scene, but we also subsequently will see how they lived. And this is what we want to draw our attention to this morning. We've, we've all thought about what it was like to live a long, 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 long time ago. Okay, What's, what was it like before TV and cell phones and cars, modern medicine and electricity? And thankfully, we don't have to think of the church in these terms. There's no church point, 2.0. There's no firmware or software upgrade to the body of Christ. How should the church function today? All we have to do is look at how they functioned then. Her battery will never need to be replaced or, or recharged. She should have recognizable characteristics. They are the same today as they were then. And one of these is not one of these, sadly. They didn't have a coffee bar in the early church. They didn't have a coffee bar, and it saddens me to think that they didn't have this. I know this because coffee came on the scene about 1,400 years later. So if you're thinking like me, how did they get up that morning? How did they get there? Is it possible? I, I don't know. And so um, I want to cling on to this, and I like our coffee bar, and so it's going to stay. So there. But, um, but there's so many elements of, of the church that we need to look at how they lived, Okay, Um, in all seriousness, though, what did this group look like? What were their habits? Where did they meet? How often? What were they devoted to? And what about their stuff? What did they share? And then what did God do? What was his response to them? Thankfully, all of this is answered in scripture. Before we read, I just want to ask you to, to pray with me. Before we look at his scripture, Father, would you open your word to us? Thank you for this early account. Father, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds? Even deeper, would you change our will that we may learn something about this early group of believers? These are our, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't miss them. We can't see them as or see us as more relevant, Father. Would you, I pray that, that we would not see us as more advanced because we're 2,000 years later. Would you cause us to see something in them that we should aspire towards? And I ask this in Jesus' saving name. Amen. Acts 2, 41 through 47, we read, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God 
and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The subtitle in my Bible to this section says, The Believers Form a Community. And before, it's before this passage. That, that's what we are inquiring about this morning. What does this community look like? The corporate world uses this word, community. We have whole sitcoms that are made around this word, community. Nonprofits, governments, schools, towns, movements. There's almost no end to what community can be in and around. In the early Christians, we see that community, it was actually the response of those who believed and were saved. So we see community as a response. I prayed that we would have a right understanding of this. I think it's required that we have a right understanding of this early church if we have any chance of getting community right. We need to have a high view of these early believers. If your view of them is old, if you think they're irrelevant or outdated, I'm afraid this passage may not have much meaning to you. However, if we see them as a group that we aspire to be like, we will pursue what they pursued. And I want to be clear as we explore the elements of this community this morning that these elements don't make a Christian. What makes a Christian is faith alone, by grace alone, grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Only the work of Jesus can make you a Christian. Putting on these elements will not make you a Christian. If you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian, if you're here and you don't understand what I mean when I say reborn, I especially want to invite you to listen. I genuinely believe that this picture of community is life-changing by itself. If you're here and you don't have a high view of the church or Jesus, I beg you to consider how they lived and whether this is the type of community that you could be part of. Can you relate to the elements of the early church? Do you share the same desire for community that they did? Thankfully, this text is plain. It's it's easy to understand. And 2,000 years later, there are things that we can all do today. We too can live just like they did. And as Christians in this country, I'm thankful that these are things that we are free to do. And we have no one to blame if we're not doing them but ourselves. I scanned about a dozen commentaries to help me get my arms around the elements of the early church. I counted 11 things in the NLT, which is the text we're reading today, 11 things that they did. Some of the commentary writers grouped them in simply just two sections. It was reduced to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Some was four sections, others was nine. Regardless of how you group them, there are 12 ands that link all these things together in this passage. And it struck me that this passage is a lot like a train. And I know illustrations can go awry, but um, it struck me. This is a train. This is a church train, okay? Um, And I'll pull from my introduction and suggest that the engine of the train is the Holy Spirit, okay? The engine of this train is the Holy Spirit. And after the engine, the elements of the community are like, they're like boxcars. They're oil tankers. They're flat cars. The meals, the prayer, 
the awe, the gathering, the sharing, the selling, the giving, the worshiping, and the prayer, the Lord's Supper. Each one of these things are held together by some couplers. Stay with me on the train. These couplers I see are the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the caboose, it was no little red caboose just being drug along in the back. The red caboose was each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And we'll talk more about that later. I want to spend the majority of our time unpacking what I've called the couplers. And this is the church train. The couplers are what we see in the devotion to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This was a thriving group of people. And if they were here today, we would be saying, I want that. I want to be like them. That's who I want to be like. While this passage is just merely descriptive of what they were, I do believe that it lays down a model for us to follow. We can aspire to be like this group of people. They had a shared devotion to teaching, it says. They met every day for this purpose. This was the utmost of priority. Do you have the stamina to sit through the teaching of the apostles every day? We're easily bored, aren't we? Some of you are already bored. If I were listening to me, I might be bored by now too. Okay? Neuroscientists say that our brains have a built-in stopwatch and it resets every 10 minutes. We don't even have the capacity to focus for any length of time. So what happened that day? What happens in our gatherings when we gather for longer than 10 minutes? The Holy Spirit shows up. Why are our sermons not just 10-minute TED Talks? I saw something this morning. This is not in my notes. I was back there looking at the schedule. I do it every time just to kind of know like what's going on, timing, make sure I'm not doing anything really stupid because I'm prone. And it said 48 minutes on the speaking time. And I went, 48 minutes? I don't ever speak for 48 minutes. I don't even know if we have the capacity to listen for 48 minutes. So I don't have that this morning. You've changed that or something. Somebody changed that. But, but really, how did they come together and listen for hours and hours and hours of teaching? I think it's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think our appetites could stand to change as well. According to the neuroscientists, and perhaps some of you, I should just stop now. This is not a picture. This is not the picture that we see in the early church, though. We've, we must train ourselves in the ways of learning. There's a fight that goes on in our mind, and we must bring it under submission so that we have the stamina to hear teaching of the apostles. That's what they did. This is one of the greatest challenges in my life, but it's one that I must address. I must realize, and you must realize, that the whole community is at stake. We must be both individually and corporately committed to this. Because the health of our community depends on this devotion. Did you know that 25% of the book of Acts is dedicated to the preaching and teaching of the apostles? We can practice all of the other train cars in this list, but if we leave off devotion to teaching of God's word, we can actually become a very stuck train. And, would we, and we would be so lucky if we were just stuck. Worse off, and sadly more common, this train derails. 
and it derails in the carnage of false teaching. We would become a crowd of people without devotion to teaching who would be prone to follow every whim of man, the world, and culture. False teachers actually, this is how they, this is how they come into the train. Will you be ready to know the difference between a truth and a lie? A simple piece of truth and a simple lie. Would you know the difference if it was before you? How would you know the difference if you were not devoted to the apostles' teaching? We should be just as devoted students of, word, or students of God's word as the early church was. I also observed that, I've observed in my past that cold, dead, lifeless communities exist where devotion to the apostles' teaching is lacking. If we don't fill ourselves with right teaching, legalism creeps in. And we end up being these rote people, just doing things, not knowing why, lifeless, cold legalism. Legalism will also derail this train. What happens when the church fails to stay devoted to what we are called to be? We end up looking unlike anything that God intended for his church and everything else. I tried a quick experiment on my kids this week. And I asked them to uh, build something for me. And I didn't show them the box. Which one is this? I didn't show them the box. I didn't show them the instructions. I actually bought two of these. And I threw about 50 Lego pieces down on the table. And I said, build me an Arctic ice glider. Okay? That's what I want you to build me. Build me an Arctic ice glider. And this is what they did. That's an Arctic ice glider, right? They, <laughs> they realized when they were done, the first words out of my daughter Eden, the first words out of her mouth, she didn't have to look at the picture. She hadn't seen it yet. She hadn't seen the box. She hadn't seen the instructions. The first words out of her mouth were, we got that all wrong. That wasn't me being critical of their master builder imaginations or any of that kind of thing. They knew they got it wrong. I didn't have to tell them. And then I showed them a picture. And this is it, by the way. This is, this is, the, this is the evidence right here. I'm going to leave them up here because I like them. I do like my kids' creativity, even though they got it all wrong. Um, and so um, then I said, I'm going to show you the box that it came in. All right. This is it. And it says on here, Arctic Ice Glider. And then I, I said, here are the instructions. There's the other instructions. I said, here are the instructions. Have them. Take them. Like, read them. And you guys make an Arctic ice glider. So they did. This, my friends, is a proper Arctic ice glider. Because we all know. Because it's on the box. There he is. In all his, yeah. So I know all illustrations have holes. I get it. They're all weak compared to scripture. But when we try to do church without a dedication to teaching, we end up getting it all wrong. It's where we end up. Sound theological doctrine teaches us about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what sin, grace, forgiveness and then all of the Asian words, justification, reconciliation, atonement, 
sanctification, what are these things? Devotion to these things, they not only draw us closer to God, but they actually have the power to draw us closer together. This church, the people, the staff, the elders, we have a lot of hopes and dreams for our ministry here. None of these things are possible if we aren't people who aren't continually devoted, all in, constant, committed, dedicated, and devout in our pursuit of teaching and the study of God's word. This is a mark of a Christian. A disciple will be devoted to the teaching of his Lord. I can't tell you how to be hungry. I can't convince you to be hungry. And I can't make you hungry. But I can tell you how good the steak tastes. I can tell you of the smell coming off the grill, the salty char. Just when it hits my taste buds, there's just this flavor explosion. I can tell you how juicy and yummy the morsels of the ribeye steak are. And I'm sorry for the vegetarians out here. But the truth is, is there's nothing like it. And some of you know what I mean. I can only tell you of how good he is. I can only tell you how life-giving his word is. I can only tell you about how wonderful it is to sit with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't make you hungry for it. It's honestly something that I crave. There is a hunger. There is a desire. And there is an appetite. But I can't take credit for it. I wasn't always craving these things. It's a supernatural hunger. And it's a hunger that I pray that you would all have this morning. And I liken this change of appetite to that of how our taste buds change as we get older. I think we all know how that works, right? As a child, it's chicken nuggets, box mac and cheese, and applesauce. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Affirmation. The foods that I wouldn't eat as a child, the foods that I would not touch as a child, all seafood, any vegetable, and certainly no ethnic foods. Like, I would not get out of, you know, uh, meat and potatoes, okay? Because that's all we eat here. And so, at some point, this all changed. And I, I don't know when that changed. And man, when I did start to try these other things, it was fantastic. It was totally different. Chicken nuggets, boxed mac and cheese, and I was instructed to say boxed mac and cheese because my wife makes amazing mac and cheese, and I still love her mac and cheese. Just the box kind I've put away, okay? It's the same with a new believer. It's the same with a believer who's believed for 10 years. It's the same for a believer who's been in the body for 50 60, 80 years. A really smart person told me this week that our hungerer has to change. Our hungerer. And it's like, oh, what's a hungerer? I don't know. It's the thing that makes me hungry. 
Wise man once said, I think this is true. Our hungerer needs to change. We don't need to consume baby food to relate to children. Neither do we consume what the world consumes to relate to the world. If you are saved here this morning, then you have everything that you need to know about how good it is to no longer be enslaved to sin. We can do so much in the name of relevance that the church ends up looking like, looking nothing like the image bearer that she was called to be. Practically speaking, this hunger can be fed in so many ways, and we have an opportunity here every week. For 12 years, my family has heard the preaching of the Word of God here at Highland Christian Church, and I do use, use the word preaching here. I know it's a word that I, I, I think I don't like sometimes. I think preaching is one of those words that it can make us rise up like, don't preach at me. And I know. But I just want to say, I need to be preached to. And I think we have to get comfortable with that. We need to be preached to. This is God's plan for how we hear. It says in Acts 2.37 that Peter's words pierced their heart. Silence was not an option that day. And friends, to be pierced, that hurts sometimes. That needed to happen. Silence is not an option. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission hasn't changed. These words are as succinct today as they were then. We are a sent people. That's what this passage is communicating. But if we, we have the potential to actually do more harm than good if we aren't devoted lifelong learners of Jesus. And as we live sent, we have to be dedicated to knowing about whom we say we love. And as we learn and experience the love of Jesus, we will see this just as Peter did. He couldn't be silenced, and neither will we. Spurgeon said this, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it to your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. He says, recollect that. You, are either, you either try to spend, spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. To be taught the things of our king, it's not only a privilege, but it's exciting. Community for the believer 
Is it like being on the same bowling team? It's not like being in the same fantasy football league. We don't just draw together around a club or a hobby. We are recipients of the greatest gift ever offered to humanity. Notice that teaching, as we keep going here, teaching and fellowship, they're welded together by one of the ands. Why? Because I believe as we're drawn to the Lord, we will be drawn to each other. We become closer to one another. And there's nothing like the fellowship of another pilgrim on a journey. There's nothing like being with another brother or sister that was chosen before the foundation of the world. Think about this. We are the only people made to propagate the message of the good news of the resurrection. That is huge. No one else is going to do that for the church but the church. No other group has this honor and this obligation. It's a very uncommon community. And this uncommon community will express itself in new life everywhere she goes. It's, it's the reason why we do Elevate. We will express our life everywhere we go. We see it in spring every year. New life expresses itself. It's out there now. The pollen is coming. I'm not looking forward to that. But that's an expression of life. In the womb, we see it. In the womb, we see it in a split cell. First expression of life. And then we hear the heartbeats. I'll never forget the heartbeat expression of life. Two babies in there, loud. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And then we see it in first breaths. And then we see it in first cries, expression of life. It's also true of us. Everything we do will be an expression of the life within us. We see it in the early church. We see it in their giving and their sharing and their generosity. Their willingness to lay down everything they had for the benefit of others. The motivation here was not a task list. It was the generosity and the goodness of God. The body of Christ will be connected. And I dare say there's no such thing as a non-church-going type of Christian. We all see that they all met Continually, And in fact, the first test to know who the church was, was whether they gathered together. This is like an accountant who doesn't use numbers. It's like a strictly meat-eating vegan. That doesn't make sense. In political terms, it would be like a card-carrying member of one party voting for the leader of the other party. These things don't go together. It's like a Tar Heel alum pulling for Duke in the championship game. Would this be so? No. We can all rise up on that and go, no, I identify with that. Believers come together. It's part of their DNA. And when we, and when we, we got that? When we, 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 when we consider the response that we got on Duke and UNC, that should move us. So we're part of the same family and we would consider to not gather? Man, this passage doesn't exist to get us to behave, but it exists to reveal the pattern of those who received new life. This is not a group of people who fit church into their schedule when it allowed. 
This is a group of people who forsook everything else to be devoted to the elements of this passage. These 3,000 were not your Easter Christmas crowd. You may be thinking, you're preaching to the choir, we're all here this morning. Like, ease up, and I know, and, I, and I'm thankful, and I'm glad. But I say these things with one thing in mind. In a crowd this size, there's someone here who right now is considering the fade from fellowship. Someone here already has one foot out the door on the church. Someone here is considering the fade from teaching and the devotion to reading his word. And I have to warn you, this fade, it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. I can truly say that during the most regretful, sinful, and lonely times of my life, there were always two common denominators present. And they were a fade from teaching and a fade from fellowship. And I warn you, if you're considering, if you've got one foot out the door, come back. It's not a good place. Fading from the regular gathering from your spiritual family will never, will never, ever, ever result in exceeding life. It's the whole grass is, other, or grass is greener on the other side approach. It's not greener. New life will express itself. And a live church will be inseparable. I see it as, I see it as the picture that, that Becca brought. This picture of magnets coming together. Magnet, magnets that don't come together, they're not magnets at all. They're just hunks of alloy. They don't do anything really they're useless. But you bring them together, and you know what we make when we bring magnets, to get magnets together? Electricity. It's electric. It's alive. It's doing something. There's a purpose. But to stay with the picture of train, because there's been so many pictures this morning, back to the train. You remember the train? I want to move past the boxcars that we spoke of and go to the last car. We can reread the last sentence of that last verse. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Notice that the burden of adding to the church wasn't on the church. Notice that this wasn't about filling seats. There was no attendance being taken as he was adding them. Notice how often new life was added. How often was it added? Every day. I think it's true that the people in the church want to be part of a growing church. We all say that. I want to be part of a growing church. Why? It's because that's the nature of the church. It grows. He's adding to it every day. One of our values here at Highland is to build community to reach a community. This community doesn't exist to stay in these four walls. As important as our time here is, this community that we are reaching for is the world of people that we interact with every day. It's in our family, in our home, our next door neighbors, the people down the street, your extended family, your work, your coworkers, who you work for, maybe who works for you. It's everywhere we go. It's also in our recreation. 
is where do you go and hang out? Where do you get your hair cut? Where do you go out to eat? Do you try to find a place where you know the same waiter or waitress? It's everywhere. It's all around us. This quote, I believe, that I'm going to read here further explains what we mean when we say we want to build a community to reach a community. And this was, I don't have anybody to attribute this quote to because it was in a commentary. And I'm like, who, who said this? I want to know. And it reads this. And by what means did the first Christian church subdue so many hearts? She had not yet established tract societies, neither did she accomplish her design by long discourses or by running to and fro. And I want to pause here. We can run to and fro a lot. We can just be busy doing things. But it says she was herself a living tract on the saving power of the gospel. Her image performed the part of a missionary. Her fullness of life furnished her with nets and hooks. All who came near her were overpowered by the feeling, this is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And the band, you can come on. An authentically living Christian will never be mistaken for the world. We gather so we can go. We give so we can share. We praise so he will hear. And when we praise, he hears, so will they. We eat together, but always with an empty seat. And we meet in one place, but always with the mind of those outside. What keeps us on the edge of our seat is that we don't know who he'll add next. Every new life is an underdog story. And this is still going on 2,000 years later. New life will be added to the fellowship, those who are being saved today. It's phenomenal. The church is alive. It's growing. And apart from the work of God, this cannot be explained. Mankind has seen nothing like it. There's no other movement like this in the world. I'm afraid that the old phrase, birds of a feather flock together, it seems it's true. We have a unity in spirit and a bond of peace. And we have the same blood covering us. It makes sense that we would seek each other out. We work for the same king. We don't labor under man. We labor under God. It makes sense that we would travel together. We're traveling to the same place and to the same person in Jesus. So I have one question. One question. Do you have the life in you that causes you to desire the companionship of people who have their eyes on Jesus? Long question. Do you have the life in you that causes you to desire the companionship of people who have their eyes on Jesus? And if so, I simply invite you to journey with Highland. It's that simple. Journey with us. Be close. If you don't, I repeat the words of Peter in verse 38. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the same invitation applies to you. I invite you to journey with Highland closely. They met together and they shared the Lord's Supper together. The bread represented the body of Jesus 
and the juice or wine represented the blood of Jesus. It represented those things then, and 2,000 years later, it represents the same thing now. We have not abandoned this practice. They were eyewitnesses, and this was their response. So too is ours today. Father, I just pray that we'll see nothing but your word. If there's someone here, Father, that has their foot out the door, I just ask that you would put their hungerer to work. Let them see your body the way that you see it. Let them see your church rightly. Let us see teaching as something that is not threatening, but to anything other than what is not right in our heart. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.